Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. I really appreciate the song. Um, I don't think she's in here right now. I think she's with the kids' class. But that, that song was a big part of the missions conference in my heart. I really appreciate that. That was a blessing. That just kind of that will kind of go into what we're going to preach about today. Um, I really appreciate uh, that song, and I really appreciate the spirit that we've had at the conference, and my wife and I really enjoyed uh, being here during the conference. You guys have been great hosts. Uh, We have been overwhelmed. We have been spoiled, and uh, we have really enjoyed our time here. You guys have been a huge blessing, and um, this is our favorite church we've been to on deputation in Gardena, so for sure. Yes, it is the only one, but even if there was another one, it probably would still be our favorite, so thank you so much. I appreciate it. Mark chapter number 14, we're going to talk about my, my favorite passage, and I, and I know we're going to do something at the end of the service, so I have a, a time frame I have to finish by, um, and uh, so don't worry, we'll, we'll get it done by, uh, we'll, we'll get it done in time. As, as Henry VIII said to his sixth wife, I promise I will not keep you long, so don't worry, we won't go uh, too far into time. If you didn't get that, it's, it's fine. I, I wouldn't get it either, so it's totally cool. Mark chapter number 14, we're going to talk about my favorite story in the Bible today. Uh, of course, as a Christian, your favorite story should be the, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that is my favorite story in the Bible. But besides that, uh, the story we're going to talk about today is my favorite story in all of the Bible. And it may sound a little bit weird as we read it. You might think, well, what's the significance about this, this story? Uh, why is this story recorded three times in the Word of God? Uh, it's kind of a story that from an American perspective, it doesn't really seem to hold much significance. It doesn't really seem to make that much sense. But as we get into it today, I hope that uh, as we explore the culture behind what's going on in this passage, I hope that uh, the Lord will speak to us about how we can apply this to our lives. Mark chapter 14, we'll start in verse uh, number 3. Mark 14, verse number 3. And being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, he being Jesus, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves, indignation meaning anger, uh, very strong, envious anger within themselves, and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor, and they murmured against her. And Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good, but me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. And by the way, that's all that Jesus is asking. He's asking for us to just do what we can. And some people are gifted in certain areas, and some people have certain things that we don't have. God's not asking for all that. God's asking for what he has given you to give back to him. He's looking for us to do our best and to give our best to him. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the bearing. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity to come into your presence and to come into uh, this service today. Thank you for this missions conference. Thank you, Lord, for the song that was sung a few minutes ago about uh, tomorrow being too late. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to not uh, delay um, our giving of our hearts to you. We can delay other things. We can procrastinate on 
homework assignments and we can procrastinate on, on different things in life and, and we'll be fine. But Lord, if there's anything we don't want to procrastinate on, Lord, I pray that we won't put off you. Thank you for not putting us off, Lord. And thank you for not saying, oh, I might die on the cross another day, not this time. Thank you, Lord, for humbly coming and dying on the cross for us. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room, I know it's a Sunday morning, if there's maybe a visitor or someone who maybe has only been coming for a little while, or maybe someone who's coming, who's been coming for a long time, who has not yet received Jesus Christ as their Savior, who doesn't know for sure, maybe they're 85% sure that they're going to heaven, but they don't know. Lord, I pray they'll get that settled, Lord. Thank you for the fact that the Bible says we can be 100% sure that we're going to heaven. It has nothing to do with how good of a person we are or how many times we go to church. It's all about you and who you are and what you've completely done and finished for us on the cross. If there's anyone here who has that issue, who doesn't know for sure they're going to heaven, I pray they'll get that settled today. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. I pray that you'd open, uh, open, up, open up your word and speak through me as, as, I, as I preach. Uh, I pray that you'd be glorified. I pray that you'd be with Brother Kim as he preaches for the Korean ministry over there and be with the, the kids as well, Lord. We love you. Thank you for loving us. It's in your wonderful, precious name we pray. Amen. In 2014, there was a man in Kansas who woke up to realize that his house was on fire. And as any man would do, he scrambled out of bed and scrambled out of his bedroom and into the living room and, and onto the front porch. He wanted to get out of the house so that obviously he didn't uh, suffer and, and die in the burning house. But once he got onto his porch, he realized that he needed to go back in the house and get what he had left. And so he scrambled through the front door and into the living room and went up into his bedroom and, and grabbed what he had forgotten and then came uh, back down through, uh, through the rest of the house and made it back onto the front porch safely. And, and he had safely made it through and, and got it safely out, uh, outside of the house. And, and he suffered in smoke inhalation, but he made it out with his Xbox securely in his hands. He risked his life for something that really didn't matter. And I know that's kind of a silly story, and I know that probably there's probably a lot of people in Kansas who do weird things like that, because uh, if you live in Kansas, you're probably a little bit weird, uh, if that's the place where you want to live. But, uh, I mean, some people are cursed. They were born there, and they have nothing. They can't do anything about it. But uh, if there's anyone here from Kansas, I'm sorry. But I know that's kind of a silly story, but I think if we're honest, we can all say that we're guilty of that sometimes as well. And I, I, I look at my life, and my wife can attest to the, the fact that I am guilty of that. I'm guilty of, of valuing things sometimes that really, in the grand scheme of life, in the grand scheme of eternity, don't matter at all. I think of one thing that, that I value in my heart, which is the fact that this afternoon, the Niners are going to stomp on Robbie's uh, Steelers, and I'm very excited about that. And um, no, it doesn't matter, but yes, I'm going to check the score. Yes, I'm going to uh, be texting Robbie about... Uh, what the score was, and, and I'm going to celebrate uh, in his defeat. I'm going to be very excited about that. But I remember when I was in high school, I was a huge Niner fan. I still am. And I remember just, just living here in Southern California, we never got to watch Niner games on TV because they were never televised. And, uh, and so I remember I was going to go to college in the Bay Area, and I was super excited because I was going to be able to watch my Niner games on TV because I was going to be in 49er territory. And so I was super excited, and I remember um, I finished high school, I, I, started, I was getting ready to go to school, and my mom uh, drove me over uh, up to the Bay Area to drop me off my dorm, and we got there uh, a couple days or a day early, and we checked into our hotel in Oakland, and I remember we were going to go and go to dinner that night, and so 
we got in our car and started going across the Bay Bridge, that wonderful experience called the Bay Bridge, driving through there. And then uh, we made it almost halfway, we made it about halfway through, and I realized at that moment that uh, I was kind of in a predicament. Because if we go through the Bay Bridge and go eat dinner and then make it through the Bay Bridge again, I'm going to miss my preseason Niner game. And this is my first opportunity to watch my Niner game on TV for a long time. And I know it was preseason, but I didn't want to miss it. So I made my mom finish going through the Bay Bridge and turn around and go through the Bay Bridge again. And, and if you know, if you've been through there, you know it's, it's usually it takes a long time to get through. There's a lot of traffic. But I, I, I inconvenienced her so that I can make sure I got back to the hotel in time to watch my third string players play in their preseason game. And I look back at that time and I think, like, I was a doofus. I was dumb. I, I inconvenienced my mom an hour of her time so that I, I, can ha- I can watch my preseason game that didn't matter at all. And I uh, inconvenienced her so I can have something that was important to me. But in grand scheme of things, a preseason game, what's so special about that? And really, when I think about it, that was the last opportunity I had to have dinner with my mom for several months. And, and I wasted it so that I can have this valuable thing that doesn't matter at all. And I think if we're honest... A lot, of, a lot of us, if not all of us, would have to say that a lot of times we suffer from that as well. We value things that really don't matter that much. But today, in this story we're going to look at today, we enter into the room of a lady who did not have that problem. She didn't have the problem of putting something on the throne of her heart where Jesus belonged. The only person, the only thing that was there was Jesus Christ and her heart. We're entering into the room of a lot of people. In this room, we have a lot of people. We have the, this story is recorded in the Bible three different times. It's in Matthew 26. It's in Mark uh, 14. It's also in John chapter 12. And, and if we read the different parallel stories, we find uh, a lot of details about, about that story. And we find uh, some, some details that aren't necessarily in just one of the passages. And we find that there are quite a few people in that room. So in that room, first of all, we, have, uh, we find in verse number three, it's, it's, in the, it's in the house of Simon the leper. So Simon uh, is inviting people over to his house. It was his feast, and it was his house, and he was inviting uh, Jesus as the honored guest and several others to come enjoy the feast with him. But wait, if we, if we stop and just think about that, there's something weird about that. There's something strange about that. Why is Simon the leper inviting people over to his house? Well, if we, if we know something about the Bible, days, we know that lepers did not have people over at their house. Lepers were not able to have contact with other people. They had to pronounce themselves unclean, and they had to live ostracized away in quarantine, away from the rest of society. They certainly wouldn't have people over at their house. So this story indicates that there must have been a healing of Simon's leprosy. If he wasn't healed from his leprosy, he would not be feasting with other people at his own house. And so we have Simon, someone who had recently been healed by Jesus of his leprosy. And we also find in John chapter 12 that also in, in, that, in that house was, was Mary, who we're talking about today, and then her sister Martha and her brother Lazarus. And this story is told in John chapter 12, but wait a second, what happens in John chapter 11? John chapter 11 is a story of Lazarus being risen from the dead. So we have Simon, who was healed of his leprosy, and, and Lazarus, who uh, was, uh, who was uh, risen from the dead. Two people who had just had miracles performed in their lives, sitting in this room. And then we have the apostles. 
We find that the people who have the indignation, the anger, the envy, and who are criticizing and ridiculing uh, Mary for the sacrifice that she makes for Jesus Christ, we find that those people are from other passages. We find that those are actually the apostles, led by Judas, but the other apostles also chime in and give their criticism uh, to Mary as well. So we have the bystanders. We have uh, we have um, we have uh, 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 Simon, and we have. Uh, Lazarus, the people who, who had just had miracles done in their lives, and we also have um, the apostles who had been walking with Jesus and serving with Jesus and preaching with Jesus and praying with Jesus and had spent three and a half years uh, with Jesus. And we have a lot of people in that room, and I think if there's anyone in that room who should have been in love with Jesus, who should have been the one to come and break the box, who should have been the one uh, to come and, and pour out that oil on Jesus' forehead. And by the way, just to kind of give you some context into what the meaning was of the pouring of that box, uh, uh, if you look at the, the, the box, it was an alabaster box. Alabaster was a substance found, uh, believed to be from a city in, in Egypt called Alabastron, and it was this substance that was known for being very good at... Um, very good at, at preserving liquids, and so they would make, uh, it's called a box, but it wasn't what we would think of as a box. It wasn't kind of this cube thing. It was more like a little vase or a little bottle. And uh, alabaster was kind of a, a, a glass, sort of a ceramic type of substance, and, and so it was kind of like a, a glass bottle that was sealed, and they would seal it to preserve the liquids contained inside so that it would not get contaminated. And the only way to, to get the substance that was sealed inside was to break the box, to break that glass. And uh, what was customary back then is, you know, they didn't have air conditioning. They didn't take showers every day. Uh, people were walking around. They were working outside, and, and they didn't have air-conditioned cars. And so they walked everywhere, and they were always sweating. They were always perspiring. And so a common uh, act of hospitality when someone would come to your house, uh, especially an honored guest, you would get some oil, some perfume, some a good-smelling ointment, and you would put it on their forehead to take away some of the odor of the perspiration on their body. And so that was part of the reason why Mary was doing this. And it was an act of love and it was an, an act of hospitality, especially because this was not just an ordinary ointment. This wasn't the typical perfume they would use. This was a very a special, very precious, very expensive kind of ointment. And if there's anyone in the room that should have been the one to greet Jesus and the one to show Jesus this love and the one to sacrifice uh, to Jesus, it should have been uh, the bystanders. It should have been a Simon and it should have been uh, it should have been Lazarus or maybe it should have been the apostles who uh, were living with Jesus and who had spent so much time with Jesus and uh, had the opportunity to get closer to Jesus than anyone else. But we don't find them showing their love to Jesus. And by the way, this is just a few days before the crucifixion. This is one of the last opportunities that they have to show Jesus, hey, before you die, before you go, I just want to make sure that you know, Jesus, I love you. If there's anyone who should have been the one breaking that box, pouring that ointment out, showing them that they love Jesus, it should have been the people that got to spend time with him. It should have been the apostles or maybe the people that just got raised from the dead or just was healed of that crippling, uh, ugly disease of leprosy. But no, we only find Mary. There were a lot of different people in that room. There were a lot of different believers, a lot of different followers, if you will, of Christ in that room. But there was only one box breaker. There are a lot of Christians in the world, but there aren't that many box breakers. There are a lot of church members at any given church. 
but I'm convinced that at, at, at any given church, there aren't as many box breakers as we should have. In that room, we had some bystanders. We had some, some critics that shouldn't have been critics at, at, at all, but there was only one box breaker. We look at this story, and if, if this was the only story we had in the Bible, if this was the only thing we knew about those people in that room, there's only one person that we would know, well, that person loved Jesus. I don't know about the other people. It seemed like they didn't really care or they were just kind of uh, complacent or maybe they were a little bit, uh, they were, uh, a little bit apathetic. But I know one thing I know uh, about Mary. I know that she loved Jesus. There were many believers in that room, but there was only one box breaker. And I don't know about you. I don't want to just be a typical Christian. I don't want to just be a Christian by name. I want to be a box breaker. I know what Jesus has done for me. And I don't want to just be content with just kind of being a mediocre, lukewarm Christian who kind of comes to this church and kind of opens his Bible for five minutes a day and check it off the list. I don't, I don't want to be just a mediocre Christian. I don't want to just be a follower by name. I want to be like Mary. I want to be a box breaker. I want to be the kind of Christian that's just lock, sock, and barrel. Lord, you, you tell me what you want me to do. You tell me what you want me to give. You tell me what you, where you want me to be, and, and I'm yours because uh, you bought me, you created me, you saved me, and everything that I am and everything that I own and everything that I have is yours because, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life, not just my soul, but my life and my body and, and every single day that I live. I don't know about you, but I don't want to just be a mediocre Christian. I want to be... A box breaker. So today, let's look at three indications. Three indications of a box breaker. Number one, the first indication, if you want to see if you are the kind of Christian that, that Mary was, if you want to see if you are, are a box breaker, let's look at the three identifications. Number one, uh, three indications. The first one is the fact that everybody knows, everybody knows they love Jesus. Everyone knows about a box breaker. They know that, G that they love Jesus. If you just kind of think about the story, uh, the, the, the alabaster was made, it was kind of a glass or a ceramic thing. When you break something glass or when you break something ceramic, it makes quite a loud noise. And she didn't kind of, uh, in her own bedroom with the door closed so no one can hear it, she didn't just kind of secretly, privately uh, break that box. She went out in the middle of that room and she broke that box in front of everybody. And by the way, it's kind of interesting that when she comes and interrupts this feast, and a feast was a very significant occasion back then. They didn't have it every day, and, and they were having a special occasion. There were a lot of people there, and it was a very uh, special festivity going on, and, and in comes this lady, Mary, and she just completely interrupts the meal. And Jesus didn't say in that moment, Mary, our food is about to get cold. You can come do your oil thing later. It's, it's more convenient for you, for you to do it at another time. You don't find Jesus telling her to go away and come back later. You, tell, you find Jesus saying, hey, my food can wait. There is, it's always a convenient time to show Jesus that you love him. It's always a convenient time uh, to worship Jesus. And Jesus was far more interested and, and far more desirous of her worship and her, uh, her act of adoration and, and love and sacrifice than he was of the feast and the fellowship, anything else that was going on. Anytime uh, some uh, lady or anytime some Christian uh, anywhere, and regardless of the circumstance, comes in and says, Lord, uh, I love you, those words are far more precious to him than anything else. And I could just imagine 
Jesus in heaven listening to an angelic choir uh, worshiping him. And I can just imagine there being a little four-year-old girl just getting on her knees to pray. And I can just imagine Jesus just saying, hey, angels, be quiet. I know you sound beautiful. I know you have angelic voices. But there's something that's more precious to my ears. It's this little girl praying. It's this Christian over here singing praises in in church. It's this person trying to take a stand for me at their school. That is far more precious to Jesus than anything else going on in this world. And she came out in the middle of that room and she broke that box in front of everybody. Everybody can hear it. We find in John chapter 12, I won't have you turn there, but it says that when she broke the box, the odor of the ointment filled the house. So when she broke that box, everybody could hear it and everybody could smell it. There was no uh, doubt uh, going on. Everybody knew that this lady loved Jesus. More importantly than anything else, Jesus knew that she loved him. Look at verse number 8. It says, She hath done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body to the burial. And so first of all, the reason why she was, the the first reason why she was putting this oil on his forehead was was because she uh, was doing it as an act of hospitality to kind of take away the odor of of the perfume, but also she was looking ahead. She knew what was coming. She knew that Jesus was about to be crucified, and she was preparing his body for the burial. She knew that he was about to to be buried, and as Jews would do back then in that time, they would put uh, oil on people's body when they were going to be buried so that that it it would preserve their smell while they were in the grave as well. And by the way, uh, Lazarus died. Her brother died in John chapter 11, and she didn't use the ointment for him. She was waiting it, saving it for Jesus in John chapter number 12. And I could just imagine as Jesus, uh, we find in, in other passages that she didn't just put it on his forehead. She, she, put it on a, a, she put it all over his body, and, and she didn't just take a few drops. She put uh, the whole thing uh, all over him, and she uh, put that ointment, and it was in his pores, and it was on his body. And like I said before, they didn't take showers every day, so it wasn't something that just kind of got wiped, wiped off. And when, it, when she put that, all that oil on him, it seeped into his pores, and certainly for days and days, uh, that ointment would have been uh, able to be smelt by him. And I think of just a few days later as he hung on that cross. When Romans crucified somebody, uh, they were masters of torture. And I won't get into gruesome details, but the, 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 way they, the way they would position your body, they would hang you on the cross so that your lungs were stretched out. And so it was very uncomfortable. And the reason, uh, the, the cause of death for most people on a cross was suffocation. Because they would have your lungs suppressed so that you would have to lift your body with all the strength in your arms and in your legs. You'd have to lift your body to take another breath. And people would die from suffocation because their, their strength would give out and they would no longer be able to lift their body up to take another breath. And that's how most people died uh, on the cross. And so uh, you, you wanted to take as deep of a breath as you could to make it so that you had a long time to, you had to lift your body up again. So I could just imagine as Jesus was on the cross and every time he would lift his body up, he would inhale as much as he could and take as big of a breath as he could. And every time he did, the odor of that ointment would come into his nose and he would remember that smell and he would remember that act of love that Mary performed him just a few days later. And as he was looking at the people that were mocking him, and as one of the, uh, one of the uh, criminals on the cross beside him was, was mocking him and, and, and ridiculing him, and people were spitting on him, as he looked 2,000 years in the future and saw us uh, sinning against him and sometimes turning our back on him, at least he was able to, to remember that, man, there's somebody who loves me back. 
I'm dying and I'm suffering. The Bible says his visage was so marred more than any man, his form more than the sons of men, which means his face and his body were more brutally beaten than any man up to that point in history. And he was suffering, but at least he was able to know I'm suffering for somebody that loves me back. Everybody in that room knew that Jesus, that she loved Jesus, especially Jesus. He knew that she loved him. Three indications of a box breaker. Number one, everybody knows they love Jesus. Number two, sacrifice is no problem for them. Sacrifice is no issue. I think of Mary and just what she poured out that day. This box was valued at 300 pence, it says in our passage. 300 pence. A pence was back then, a pence was a day's wage. So if you think about just, if you, if you, took every single penny that you earned for an entire year with before taxes, before bills, and just every single penny from your paycheck for, a, for a, an entire year, that's how much that box was worth. That's how much that box of ointment was worth. And traditionally, when someone would come to your house, you'd put about two or three drops on their forehead, but she poured out the whole thing. And a lot of times you would break that box. That, uh, when you would break the box, a lot of times they would save it for someone uh, that was very special to them. And, and they would break that box and, and it would never uh, be opened again. Because once you, once you broke it, uh, then contamination can come into that box. And so you would break it when you were ready to never use it again. And she poured out that whole box. She poured out a whole year's worth of salary. We don't know exactly where she got that from. We don't know if it was inherited as a family heirloom. We don't know if she spent years saving uh, to purchase that. All we do know is that she poured it all out for the one that she loved more than her own self. Sacrifice was not an issue. She didn't hesitate. She didn't pour a little bit of it and save it for herself. She didn't save it for Lazarus. She was saving all of it for Jesus. And she knew that this was my last chance to show Jesus that I love him. She was willing to pour everything out on him. I think of David Livingston, one of my favorite missionaries. He's a missionary to Africa, and I'm a little biased because that's where I'm going, but he was uh, not in Nigeria, but a little south of that, and, and he went through some, some crazy tribulations and trials during his ministry. Uh, he was attacked by a lion, and, and, for, and somehow he survived, and, and his arm was, was just messed up for the rest of his life from, from that lion attack. His wife died at a young age of yellow fever, he suffered from malnutrition, and many of his teeth fell out uh, because of that. He suffered from starvation, and sometimes he resorted to, to eating tree roots because there was nothing else he could find to eat. He was a dead man walking, basically, for a lot of uh, his ministry uh, because of the sicknesses that he contracted, and, and a lot of times people would have to carry him from place to place. There's a time, I believe it was 40 days, where he was just locked in his tent, and he couldn't do anything. He couldn't move, couldn't get up, couldn't get out of bed. Uh, he contracted a lot of diseases during his ministry, including elephantiasis, yellow fever, malaria, and leprosy. And when people asked him about the sacrifice that he had made as a missionary in Africa, this was his response. He said, for my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward and healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter, away with the word sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life, let us pause and cause the spirit to waver and 
only be for a moment. All those are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. He took the word sacrifice out of his personal dictionary because it wasn't something he believed was possible because he considered what Jesus had done for him and he realized that after what Jesus has done for me, there's nothing that I could do that could be labeled as a sacrifice in response to his love for me with my life given back to him. If you will, turn to Mark cha- uh, Romans chapter 12 real quick. Romans chapter number 12. A very familiar passage, very famous passage. Uh, a uh, couple verses uh, that a lot of people uh, like to memorize or see as their first verse. A very fun passage to, to preach on. But Romans, uh, but Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse number 1, he says, I beseech you, brethren, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Well, the Greek word used for the word reasonable uh, is the word that we get the word logical from. It's logikos. And what he's saying is, uh, the, the key to this verse is the very first part, I beseech you by the mercies of God. And he uses Romans, the very first half of the book of Romans, to explain the mercies of God, to explain uh, the love that Jesus has shown especially uh, in dying on the cross for us. And he's saying, because of what I've just explained, because of the mercies of God, because of what he has done for us, because of the sacrifice that he has made uh, for us on that cross, the only logical response, the only response that makes sense to his life given for us is our life given back to him, presented as a living sacrifice for him. And David Livingston knew that Anything I do for him isn't a sacrifice. It's just a logical response. A sacrifice is not an issue for a box breaker. Number three, the third indication of a box breaker is that they value God's approval over the world's. They value God's approval over the world's. Mary, unfortunately, was the most unpopular person in that room. The, The apostles were making fun of her. They were ridiculing her. They were mocking her and, and criticizing her when they should have been encouraging her. But she didn't mind and she didn't care. And that didn't let her stop her. She didn't let that stop her. And she continued with her act of for Jesus. And no one else was pleased in that room, but Jesus was pleased. And that's the only person she was trying to please. And I don't know about you, I get caught up sometimes in trying to please and trying to gain the approval of other men, and trying to impress other people. But Mary said, I don't care. I'm not going to impress them. I'm not going to please them. There's nothing special about me. The only thing that I have to offer Jesus that's of any value uh, besides my life is this box, and anything that I have is what I'm going to give. And I don't care what people think, and I don't care if I'm not popular, and I don't care if I'm uh, criticized and made fun of. I'm going to give everything I have to Jesus. And if he's pleased, if he's smiling back at me, then that's all that matters. She wasn't seeking the approval of the apostles. She wasn't seeking the approval of even her siblings. And she was only seeking the approval of Jesus. And she got it that day. And Jesus even defended her and criticized the apostles for criticizing her. In John chapter 12, we find that she didn't just put that appointment on his head, but she got down on her knees. She got that ointment and put it on his feet. She got her hair and and used her hair like a mop to rub that ointment into his feet. If you think about it, she used the most glorious part of her body 
to wipe the most filthy part of his. And I'm sure for days she probably smelt the funk of his feet in her hair. But she didn't mind because it reminded her of the fact that she got to be face to face with Jesus. She was in love with him. But sometimes to please him, we've got to displease the world. Sometimes to please him, we've got to look like a fool to the world. And, and she looked like a fool to the apostles. Man, you, you just wasted this. You, you could have used it for, for the poor. You could have done so many great things with it. You're a fool. I remember one time I was, I was doing Uber, and, and I've, I did Uber for a year. And, and, and uh, I remember I was, I've been in every little nook and cranny of Los Angeles just taking people from place to place. And I remember I went to uh, this, um, this neighborhood, and I was picking up some teen guys from the school. I'd never heard of it. Maybe some of you guys have. It was Harvard-Westlake. And it's a private school that, you know, people obviously, you know, they try to get their, their kids in there uh, where they can get a good education, give them a good chance of getting into a good school, have a good future and things like that. And it's $52,000 a year to put them into that high school. And sometimes I'm thinking like, well, that's more expensive than the, the college you're trying to get them into. So it's kind of, uh, uh, but, but it's really expensive. And, and, and I remember picking up some teen guys and, and I remember I was dropping them off at, at their house and we're going to Brentwood and obviously it's a very nice neighborhood and and a uh, very uh, nice street. And I remember my Toyota Camry just did not belong on that street. If you had a, if you had a Mercedes, you were kind of like a low-ranking member of that street. And I remember just kind of dropping them off over there. And I, they were talking to me, and I was talking to them back. And, and we were talking about college. And, and they kind of asked me, well, did you go to college anywhere? And I said, yeah, I went, I went to UC Berkeley. And, and he's, his, lies, his eyes kind of lit up. And he said, well, that's, that's the school I'm trying to get into. That's the school my dad went to. And I went and dropped him off at his dad's house, and I saw the gate, and I saw the, the front yard, and I saw the house, and I saw how close it was to the beach, and I saw the cars in his driveway. And I remember thinking, the devil kind of getting on my shoulder and saying, man, look at, at, at what you could have had. Man, he's, he's spending $52,000 a year uh, for his kid to hopefully be able to get into the school that you got a 50% scholarship for. And his dad went to the school that you went, and look at the house that he has, and look at neighborhood he lives in look how close he is to the beach and and look how uh, look at at uh, look at uh, what he has and look at what you could have had you look like a fool I remember just kind of getting a little bit discouraged that day thinking like man I'm making from commuting from Lancaster to to a driving job in LA and and after taxes after car depreciation when you factor everything in I was making mess, less than minimum wage and I was thinking, man, I dedicated all four years of high school to get into this school. And then I gave it up, and now I'm making minimum wage trying to drive other people around. Man, I look like a fool right now. I remember the Holy Spirit getting in the car, kind of sitting next to me and kind of kicking the devil off my shoulder. And he said, man, don't let the devil try to tell you what you could have had. You just wait to see what you're going to have one day. The mansion you're going to have in heaven is going to make that little house seem so small. And you're not going to have to pay property taxes. You're not going to have to pay for $1,000 for the oil, uh, the oil change in your car. You're not going to have to pay for a mortgage or anything like that. And, and when you get to heaven, you're going to be able to have people come to you. And, and they're going to say, thank you for coming here so that I can be saved. Thank you for coming to my country. And sometimes people say, man... You went to Berkeley, and man, you, you had a scholarship, and man, you, you gave that up? Ladies and gentlemen, I never gave anything up. Jesus is the one who gave something up. God is the one who gave something up. He sent his son, and the least that I can do 
is give everything I have. Look at verse number 9. Verily I say unto you, this is Jesus defending Mary. He said, Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. And I really believe that what Jesus is saying is that he's talking to the apostles and criticizing them for criticizing Mary. And he's saying, you guys are, are, are criticizing her. You guys are mocking her. You guys should be encouraging her. But you know what? I'm going to make sure that she gets rewarded. I'm going to make sure that, I'm, that she, th- this story gets recorded in my word, not once, not twice, but three times. So that wherever this gospel is preached throughout the whole world, wherever, uh, whatever corner of, the, of the, the globe that someone is going to come and take this word and preach it, probably somewhere on any given Sunday or Wednesday night or Thursday night or Sunday morning or Sunday night, there's someone somewhere in the world preaching on Mark 14, Matthew 26, and John 12, and using her story. And I can just imagine Mary looking over the gates of heaven and saying, man, I died 2,000 years ago. And I'm in heaven, but God is still using me on earth. That's the kind of reward that box breakers get. I'll take that over anything else the world can give me. I don't know about you. I don't know what's, what's in your box. I don't know what God wants you to give to him, but I can tell you honestly, it belongs to him already. I don't know if it's in the realm of your future. I don't know if God is saying, oh, I, want, I have a change of direction for you. I want you to give me your life because there's something else that I have planned for you, something different than what I had planned. I don't know if it's your future. I don't know if it's your heart. I don't know if there's something in your heart that where God is saying, man, I, that area of your heart that's not given to me, that thing that you know about that only, that only I know about and you know about, I, I want that. I want you to break the box. I want you to give that to me. I don't know if it's your heart. I don't know if it's, if, if it's something in uh, in, in your life, I don't know if it's your future. I don't know if it's a possession that you have. I don't know if it's in your bank account. If God is saying, well, you know what? There's a little bit more that I want. Because it's mine to begin with. I don't know what's in your box that God is telling you to break this morning. But I know that the biggest thing that I've probably ever given to God for my box was my future. I had spent four years dedicate all four years of my life. I didn't care how, how long I had to stay up. I didn't care uh, what I had to do to make sure that I didn't get one B in class and to make sure I took every AP class my school offered and even took a class in my college to make sure that I was, I was going to get into the school that I wanted to get into. And God said, hey, I, I want you to completely turn in a 180-degree direction because I have something else planned for you. I want you to break that box and give it to me. I don't know what's in your box this morning, but I can tell you, you never regret what you give to Jesus. 